Recently, the Barna organization released the results of a nationwide survey of the most post-Christian cities in our nation. Now, they used a variety of metrics to arrive at this assessment. Things like the percentage of people who don't believe in God, who don't believe faith is important to everyday life, who haven't attended a church in the past year, who have never made a personal commitment to Jesus. They surveyed about 100 cities across the country, and here is their list of the top 10 most post-Christian cities in our country. Albany, New York, Burlington, Vermont, Portland, Maine, Providence, Rhode Island, Hartford, Connecticut, San Francisco, Boston, Buffalo, New York, and San Diego. Do you notice a trend? <laughs> Eight of those 10 cities are in the Northeast, five in New England, and Boston comes in number seven. Now, what the survey is telling us in simple language is that in these cities and many others across our country, the basic beliefs and values of the Christian faith are no longer affirmed by a majority of the population and no longer being reinforced by the culture. Now, I guess that's not a big surprise to any of us, but it's interesting to see some statistical validation to a shift that we've been seeing taking place uh, over the past uh, handful of years. Historic Christianity and the Christian church have come under increasing ridicule, suspicion, and even hostility in this 21st century. Now, some of that, to be honest, we have brought on ourselves by attitudes and actions that are not becoming to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, there are a lot of reasons for this, but you can't mistake the fact that a significant shift has taken place in our culture. Uh, maybe you heard that uh, this fall, the California State University uh, de-recognized InterVarsity Christian Fellowship from its list of approved organizations so they no longer have free and equal access to networks, uh, campus networks and facilities, along with other similar faith-based organizations. Maybe you heard that the mayor of Houston recently tried to subpoena the sermons of local pastors on the subjects of sexuality and marriage. So these are just a couple of examples. Now, I want to be clear. My purpose this morning is not to beat up on the culture about this. As I said, we have asked for it sometimes by the way we have carried ourselves and presented ourselves. Some of these things are just the natural, appropriate ways to live in a pluralistic culture, a pluralistic society that I, that I think we all value. And it's not my purpose to whine and complain about it because that's not very becoming either. I simply want to recognize a significant shift that's taken place in our culture in recent years. There is a trend towards a post-Christian, maybe even anti-Christian sentiment. So how do we respond to that? Well, there are a variety of options. One option is to wage war. You know, fight back. Let's seize power and influence every way we can, and let's use it to turn the tide back. And some have tried that approach. Another approach is to withdraw pull back from the mainstream of public life and take refuge in a, in a subculture that we create that reinforces our beliefs and values. And people have tried both of those, waging war and withdrawing. We could have a lively debate about the merits of those approaches. This morning, I'd like to offer a third way. Instead of waging war and withdrawing, how about if we wow them with the beauty of the gospel? 
wow them with the beauty of the gospel. Now, it's not an original idea with me. It's something that I have found in our text for this morning in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Now, the church in Philippi was living in an environment far more suspicious and hostile to the Christian faith than the one we find ourselves in today. And yet Paul calls that community to an approach to living out their faith that I believe offers a wonderful alternative approach to the way the church has been doing that in our world in recent days. So let's go back to the book of Philippians, pick up a passage that we skipped over back earlier in our series. Just a reminder, we are in a series this fall that we're calling Come Together. We are going to the book of Philippians, and we are discovering together the marks of true biblical community. That's our emphasis for this year, getting closer as a community. And so far, we've identified seven marks of true community. First, a true community is gospel-centered. Our life together revolves around our common faith in and commitment to the saving work of Christ in our lives and in the world. A true community is marked by vulnerability. We want to be our true selves, be honest with each other, with ourselves, with God and the world around us. A true community is marked by servanthood, a willingness to lower ourselves and put other people's needs and interests ahead of our own. Ministry, that we use our gifts and our personalities to be God's person at God's time in the life of people around us. A true community is formational. We come together not just to hang out, but to grow and become more like Jesus Christ in our lives. True community, we learned, is emotionally healthy. It, it ministers and meets people in all the dimensions of human experience. And it, it embraces unity. We embrace our differences and find unity even in diversity. So this morning, we're going to add one more word to that growing list of characteristics. And we'll find it in Paul's text here this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. See if you can pick out what that particular mark might be. Paul's going to use a few word pictures to help us understand it. So let's read the passage and then come back and look more closely. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Now, whenever you approach a passage of Scripture to study it on your own, it's always a good idea to pay attention to the words in particular, but it's also a good idea to pay attention to the pictures. The biblical authors were great writers. And like all good writers, they recognized the value of metaphor, simile, and word pictures to communicate essential truths. So we find that all through the Scripture. Now, sometimes those pictures are very obvious. Sometimes they're a little bit hidden in the text, especially in our English translations. But here in this little passage, we find three compelling, vivid pictures that describe how the church is to relate in a challenging environment. So let's kind of highlight those three images and let them guide our thoughts this morning. 
The first is the image of a silver mine. I know. You're wondering where in the world we find a silver mine here in this passage. This is one of those hidden images, and uh, I'll show you where we find it in just a moment. You have to kind of dig for it, if you'll pardon the pun, okay? <laughs> now, the passage, first of all, presents us with a bit of an interpretive problem. Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It sounds like he's suggesting that we somehow have to work for our salvation, contribute to our salvation, as if God does his part and we do our part. And, and the fear and trembling phrase adds this ominous tone to it. Like if we don't get this right, we, we might lose our salvation. Now, that sure doesn't sound like the good news of salvation by faith alone. And it's not. Paul is not revising or uh, recanting the, the good news, the, the gospel of salvation by faith alone. We are forgiven and set free simply through faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. It is entirely a work of God and a gift of grace. Paul and all the writers of Scripture are clear about that. There's nothing we can do to earn it, deserve it, or work for it. So Paul's not contradicting that at all. In fact, if you look closely, notice that he says, or he doesn't say, work for your salvation. He says, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. And this is where the word picture comes in. The particular phrase he uses there, work out, is a word that was used in that language, the Greek language, to describe the work of miners bringing precious metals up out of the earth. And as it turns out, that metaphor had rich meaning for the people of Philippi. The city of Philippi was founded as a mining town. There are rich silver deposits all through that territory. And so Paul's readers would have been very familiar with this terminology. Those miners didn't produce the silver in the mine, they simply discovered it and brought it out into the open where it could be seen and enjoyed and put to good use. They worked out what the forces of nature had worked in. And the same thing, of course, is true of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has already done a good work in the lives of believers, a good, beautiful, saving work. He's done that work. He's placed within us a deposit of goodness and beauty and love and kindness and grace and love and truth. He's built it all in. He's placed those deposits deep within us. All that's left for us to do is to discover what God has placed there and then bring it out into the open where it can be seen and be a blessing to us and to others. Just to be sure we understand that we don't do this in our own strength, Paul goes on to say, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So God not only places the good and beautiful life of Christ inside of us, he also gives us the desire and even the strength to live out that good and beautiful life in the world around us. So in this first word picture, Paul calls upon believers to work out what God has worked in. 
to live out our faith in such a way the world can see the goodness and beauty of God and be blessed by it themselves. Now, how about this fear and trembling bit? That's a scary phrase. I'm going to save that till the end of the message, okay? So you're going to have to hang with me for that because I want to call your attention to something else right now. We tend to read this passage individualistically. I always have. As if the Lord is speaking to each of us individually about the riches He has placed within us that we're to explore and then share with the world around us. And there's certainly truth to that. But remember, we've been reminding ourselves every week, this is a letter to the community, to the church of Christ in the city of Philippi, to all the believers gathered together. He addresses these words to my dear friends. And in the next verse, he's going to confront a problem this group has with complaining and arguing. So Paul is not just speaking to a collection of individuals He's speaking to a community of faith, people who have come together to know and live out a relationship with Jesus Christ. So he's telling us that we're to explore the riches of our relationships with each other and, and to bring out of those relationships good and beautiful things that can then bless the world, like bringing silver out of a mine. So let's just pause and ask ourselves a question. How diligently are we working that mine? How intentional are we about exploring all the riches that God has placed in this community of faith or whatever church you happen to belong to? You see, your life community your, your, your plug-in or alpha table, your celebrate recovery group or step study, your accountability group, your ministry team, your friendship circle, whatever it is, it's a gold mine. It's a silver mine. It's a, it's a spiritual mine. It's layered with veins of, of, of beauty and goodness and truth and love and vulnerability and honesty and servanthood and humility. Are you exploring the riches of the relationships that God has given you in the life of your church? Are we digging deeply of all that God has given to us as a community? And, and having explored those riches, are we bringing it out into the world around us? The next time you're with your group, whatever that group is, your life community or your, or your small group or your team, the next time you're together this week, look each other in the eye. Take the time to acknowledge every person God has placed in your life, in your community. Ask yourselves, are we really appreciating each other? Are we digging deeply of the life that God has given us as a group of people together? caring for each other, serving for each other, praying for each other, enjoying each other. That's how intentional Paul wants us to be about our life together, about getting closer. And it's not just for our own benefit, it's for the sake of the world, that we might share it with others, Paul says, according to his good purpose. Well, we know what God's purpose is. It's to put right everything that's wrong with this world. It is to bring all things together through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He's doing that through us, His people, the church. And so it turns out that 
as, as we get closer, we're able to reach wider. The quality of our life as a community greatly impacts our ability to reach the world around us. So in this first picture of the silver mine, we understand that collectively we are to explore the goodness of God in our community and then find ways of bringing it out into the open so it can bless the world. So instead of waging war and, and withdrawing, we're going to wow people with the beauty and goodness of life in Christ. So that's our first word picture, the silver mine. The second one is pretty obvious, but just in case you can't quite pick it out, I'm going to give you an audio clue in the spirit of Jeopardy. Hard to sit still. You're a shining star, no matter who you are. Earth, wind, and fire didn't come up with it. It's right here. They stole it from the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Shining stars. I spent about three hours researching stars this week in preparation for the sermon. I went to see the film Interstellar, okay? <laughs> and it's, it's a three-hour astronomy lesson, basically, and I enjoyed the film. I didn't understand most of the science in it, and I'm not sure Matthew McGonaghy understands it all either, but it's a pretty good story. Here's the essential thing we need to know about stars. A star is a hot, incandescent sphere of gas held together by its own gravitational pull, pulled together by the nuclear energy at its very core. And as that nuclear energy works its way to the surface, that energy is converted into light and it shines. In other words, a star shines because of the energy at its core. And the same is true of Christ followers. God has worked powerfully within us. And when that powerful, beautiful, saving, transforming, good work makes its way to the surface, people see it. We shine. They can't help but notice it. In fact, the, the Greek word that Paul uses when he says, Works, work out your salvation, it's the word energon. Greek word energon, from which we get energy. When we allow God's divine energy to work its way out into the world around us, people see the glory of God like stars shining in the universe. And while that's true of us as individuals, once again, he's talking about the community here, that there's a divine energy at the core of our church life together. And, and the more energetic that is and the greater that energy works its way out, the brighter our witness to the world around us. And here's the thing about stars. The darker the sky, the brighter the stars, right? 
If you really want to see stars, you got to get out of town. you got to get out there where it's really dark. Go up north or out to sea or something. And then the stars really shine. Now, why is that? Are the lights literally brighter up north or at sea? Of course not. It's the same star. It's just the sky is darker. And so the contrast is so great. Which means that in a post-Christian world, Christians really stand out. We have a remarkable opportunity to shine in the world in which we live. In fact, Paul talks about in verse 15, a crooked and depraved generation. You see, the darker the culture in terms of Christian faith, the brighter the witness of those who know and follow Jesus Christ because the contrast is so great. And, and that's the word I'm going to use to describe this week's mark of true community, contrast. It's a word that Tim Keller likes to use. I'm not sure if he came up with it, but it works. That the church is a contrast community. That we show the world a different, better way to be human, a better way to be in relationship with each other. Remember, Paul's writing to believers who, who live in a very dark place. Philippi was a pagan city. The citizens of that city literally worshipped Caesar. They called Caesar Savior and Lord. That city was so dark spiritually, there weren't even 10 Jewish men enough to form a synagogue there in that city. A handful of women meeting outside of town. The only vibrant spirituality in that city. That city was so dark that Paul and Silas were arrested, beaten, thrown in jail, and run out of town for doing a good work in Jesus' name. So if we think we have it tough, we have no idea. The city of Philippi, the Philippian church, was dealing with a hostile culture. That's why Paul says, let your light shine, because the contrast is so great. And while we don't have it like that, we certainly have our challenges today, but it's one of the reasons I love living and serving in the northeastern part of our country. Now, I'm not suggesting that uh, New York and New England are more crooked and depraved than the rest of our country. <laughs> New Jersey, maybe, but, you know. <laughs> it's just that, in a, I know you're from Jersey, so. Uh, <laughs> it's just that in a post-Christian environment, Christians shine all the more. And the degree to which we can allow the goodness and beauty of God to radiate out from, from our individual lives and our collective lives, well, now we have an opportunity to show the world a better way. And here's the thing about stars. The more there are, the brighter they shine. Right? As wonderful as a star is individually, put a bunch of them together. When you get up north or out to sea and you see the Milky Way, millions and billions of stars arcing across the sky, it takes your breath away. And the same thing is true with Christian witness as well. When hundreds and thousands of believing people come together and radiate the love and beauty of God to the world around them, well, you can't help but take notice. That's why it's so important for the church of Jesus Christ, individual churches, and the church of Jesus Christ collectively to come together, to let our lights shine, not just individually, but collectively to the world around us. That's why Paul tells the Philippians and us, stop complaining, stop arguing. It ruins your witness. It dims your bulb. 
Cut it out. Come together. Be united. Serve each other. Love each other. Not just for your own sake, but for the sake of the world. Christian people and, and collectively have a great opportunity to show the world a better way. Some years ago when our kids were younger, we were living in another town, uh, Karen got to be friends with another woman in town, a woman I'll call Joni. Uh, two of our sons happened to be the same age, so they were in school together, and Karen and Joni found themselves often on the sidelines of a soccer game or doing pickups and drop-off at school or hanging out at the playground together, things like that. Now, now Joni, like many young moms, was, was kind of overwhelmed by the demands of life and parenting. Her husband traveled a lot, she was, so she was often home alone with the kids. Uh, she had a religious background, but she wasn't finding it very helpful or supportive for this season of life. And as she and Karen talked a little bit about faith and marriage and parenting and life and all those sorts of things, she detected something different in, in Karen's approach to life and faith and relationships, something appealing and engaging. And over time, she, Joni, met a few other women in town who, who also seemed to strike her as being somehow different. These women seemed at peace with themselves. They seemed to have a hopeful, positive approach to, to life and marriage and family. She admired the quality of their lives. They seemed to be free of the, of the conspicuous consumption and the social ladder climbing that were so prevalent in that community. At a certain point, Joni recognized or discovered that all these women had something in common. They all went to the same church. And they all claimed to have a personal relationship with Christ. So after a couple of years, she finally found the courage to go visit that church. And she was so overwhelmed by the love and the welcome and the grace and the joy that she sensed in that church that within a couple of months, she had opened her heart to Christ and receive forgiveness and freedom and, and new life. Now, those women were shining stars in Joni's life, not just individually, but collectively. It wasn't just meeting one or two. It was meeting a handful of women and then discovering a community in which these very values were being lived out. Joni herself, for the past 20 years now, has been a shining star in that same community, pointing many other women and men towards life in Jesus Christ. That's the power of, of a shining star, of allowing the goodness and beauty that God has placed within you to emanate to the world around. Well, there's one more word picture, so we'll look at it quickly. It shows up in verse 16. As you hold out the word of life. Now, can you see it? as you hold out the word of life. It's the picture of someone holding a torch, a fiery light that penetrates the darkness and, and shows the way. There's a little bit of debate among scholars as to whether Paul is saying that we should hold on to the word of life or hold out the word of life. The truth is he probably means both. The word of life is simply the, the good news of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness, freedom, eternal life, that good news. So on the one hand, we hold on to it as we make our way through a dark world. We need that light, but we don't keep it to ourselves. We hold it out so other people can see and follow that light as well. 
And as important as it is for us to do that individually in our schools and neighborhoods and places of work, when we do that collectively, well, the witness of that light is inescapable. The thing about torches is if, if, if one is good, then hundreds are better. I mean, the more torches, the greater the light, the greater the visibility, the greater the impact. Remember Jesus' prayer for his disciples and for us? May they be brought to complete unity, Father, so the world will know that you sent me. It's the quality of our life together as, as individual churches and the collective church that reveals to the world the presence of Jesus Christ in this world. The world needs this life, but they need to see it, not just hear it. They need action, not just words. There's a reason we're living in a post-Christian culture. It's because people feel as though they have tried the Christian faith and church and come up empty, that it's not been impressive. Now, so if we're ever going to get their attention, it better be pretty beautiful. It better be pretty relevant. It better be pretty gracious if we're going to get the attention of a world that has given up on the Christian faith. So the world needs some concrete expressions of beauty and oneness and community. So let me finish by offering two practical ways that you and we can hold out the word of life in our dark world today. The first is to invite your friends and neighbors and co-workers to church with you. Increasingly, most people in our culture have never experienced true, vibrant, gracious, authentic, Christ-centered community. Increasing numbers of people have never, ever had exposure to a church like that. In fact, many have left the Christian faith and church because they've been so disappointed and disillusioned by their attempts to discover that. Now, by God's grace, I believe He has granted us a vibrant, authentic community life together. Now, we have, to, we have to grow. We have things to work on, ways to get deeper and closer, and we're all about that. But I'm so excited about the life God has here that He's given us together. But if your friends and neighbors are ever going to get an experience of that kind of life, they're going to have to be here for an hour or two on a Sunday or another time of the week and rub shoulders with people who are letting their light shine individually and collectively. Now, we're, we're coming up on a great season for inviting people to church. And the good news is now that we have four campuses, we have empty seats finally. We got room for folks, for your friends. I know it's crowded in Wilmington, but we'll make space there. But we have room for folks. And the Christmas season is the very best time to invite people. But you know what our theme is for this Advent season? I'll give you a sneak preview. Let there be light. The whole month, we're going to be exploring and talking about the light that Christ brings into our lives and our world. Any Sunday, you can invite someone. There are some special events happening and, of course, our candlelight services as well. We're going to provide you with some invitation cards and some videos that you can share as you invite people to come. But begin thinking and praying now. Who might you bring with you this Advent season that they might get a glimpse of this beautiful light of Christ? And as you think about who you might bring, think also about how you might serve. Because if it's going to be a good experience when people get here, 
We need to take care of their children. We need to welcome them graciously. We need to help them find a place to park and find their way around and, and worship meaningfully. And so we're looking for folks who will volunteer in this Christmas season. As you heard, we're looking for folks who will volunteer at Kidstown, both Thanksgiving Sunday and Christmas Sunday, just that one day. And then we're also looking for folks who will volunteer for just one Christmas Eve service. So there are Christmas trees in most of the lobbies. Uh, there are information desks. Stop and find out how you can serve just once during this holiday season. So we can invite people to come and experience it. But the second thing we need to do for to get that light out there is to get outside of these walls, to get out into our communities and into our city and do good and beautiful things in Jesus' name. Now we've been getting better at that in recent years. We spent a whole year talking about living on mission. We've been doing that individually. We've been doing it as life communities and working with partners. I don't have time to explain and remind you of all of them. But let me share just one story. As you know, many of you know, for the past couple of years, uh, Grace Chapel has been partnering with Global Ministries Christian Church to support the Trotter Elementary School in Dorchester. Now, that school, four or five years ago, was put on the endangered list. They risked losing their status and being taken over by the state. They were performing so poorly. So the, the Boston public school system decided to invest a little bit in that school. They got a new administrative team, but they also began forming partnerships with other people around the city, including churches like Grace Chapel and Global Ministries Christian Church. And so for a couple of years now, we've been sending teams of folks down there to do landscaping and painting and IT improvements and to restock uh, the library, to throw appreciation dinners for the faculty, to build relationships with parents. And just this month, the Trotter Elementary School was voted the most improved school in the city. They won a $100,000 grant to reinvest in their school. Amen. That's a good story. Now, to be sure, Principal Maraid and her team, they, they deserve a lot of the credit for all that they have done. But Grace Chapel... Global Ministries, we're a part of that story. We got to do something good and beautiful in that school and in that community. It's a better place for us having been there. But here's the really exciting thing. There's been a couple of other church school partnerships like that around the city, so much so that the city has taken notice, and the Boston Public School System has now invited churches to come into the schools and work with them to turn it around. When the city of Boston sees that the churches of Boston are coming together to bless the city, well, now we're beginning to get it. Now we're beginning to let our light shine. Now we're beginning to become a true community because a true community is a contrast community, showing the world a better way to do life and relationships, a contrast community, showing the world what life and relationships we're meant to be. Well, I promised you we would talk about that fear and trembling phrase before we're done, so let me come back to that. Why fear and trembling? I mean, that sounds scary. Why does Paul toss that in there? Is he suggesting that we, that we could lose our salvation, that, that uh, we could be in trouble with God if we don't get this right? Well, not exactly. He's simply reminding us that we have been given a good and beautiful gift. 
the life of Christ within us. And we're now privileged and responsible for living that life to the full and living it to the world around us. And that's an awesome responsibility. A little illustration might help. Uh, some years ago, we found ourselves between cars and we needed an, an extra car. So a friend of mine loaned me his BMW Roadster. Really nice car. <laughs> Nicest car I've ever driven around town like that. I had a great time driving that car around town. But I was a little conspicuous when I pulled into the church parking lot in a late model luxury car. You know, what are we paying that guy anyway? But uh, I had a great time driving that car. But I will tell you, there was some fear and trembling as I drove that car. Because it was a really nice car. And he was a really good friend. It wasn't that I wasn't afraid he would stop being my friend if I did something to his car that he was going to punish me or something. It's just that I wanted to honor his trust in me. And the day I brought that car back to him, I wanted us both to be smiling, <laughs> to be celebrating the fun of a nice car and being able to share it together. Well, so it is with this good and beautiful life that God has given to us. He, he, he wants us to, to, to live it out to the max but he wants us to share it with the world around us as well. And that's a wonderful privilege, but it's also an awesome responsibility because someday we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for what we've done with this good and beautiful life. Not just as individuals, but as the community here at Grace Chapel. What have we done with all the riches he has given to us? On that day, I want us and God to be smiling smiling at all the good things that we discovered and enjoyed together, and smiling about the way we shared it broadly with the world around us. So let's give up waging war and withdrawing. Let's wow them with the beauty of the gospel. Let's plumb the depths of the riches of our life together, and then let's bring all that goodness and beauty in life out into the world where it can be seen as we shine like stars in the universe. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for these vivid pictures you've given to us of who and what you've called us to be in this world. We thank you that it's not our work but yours. We're thankful for all that we enjoy in our life together as a church, for the many decades of unity and vitality and impact and Lord, we're eager to see more of that. And we're eager to dig deeply of all that you've given to us and draw nearer to one another in order that we might serve our world more effectively. So Lord, show us what that looks like. Help us to lean into the relationships you've given us, to have the courage to be honest and vulnerable and real with each other, to be willing to serve and to put others' interests ahead of our own. And to do that with such joy and love that the world around can't help but stop and take notice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.